0: One, two, three, four. You are listening to Skylet the skylight books podcast skylight books is a general interest bookstore in the los Feliz neighborhood in los angeles you can shop with us from 10 a.m to 10 p.m or visit us online 24 7 at skylightbooks.com follow along at skylight books instagram and twitter you can subscribe to the podcast on podbean itunes and spotify thank you for listening and now on to the episode
1: Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome back to Skylit. This is the Skylight Books podcast, and I'm your host, Hallie Perry. Skylight Books is an independent bookstore located in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. We are open every day from 10 to 10 for curbside pickup and masked in-store browsing. You can shop online at www.skylightbooks.com. Today, I am here with Rafia Zakaria, whose book, Against White Feminism, Notes on Disruption, comes out on August 17th from Norton. Rafia Zakaria is author of The Upstairs Wife, An Intimate History of Pakistan, Veil, and many essays for The Guardian, CNN, and The New York Times Book Review. She is a regular columnist for Dawn in Pakistan and The Baffler in the United States. Welcome Rafia, I'm so happy to have you here today.
0: Hey Hallie, how are you? It's great to be on the podcast.
1: We're so happy and thrilled to have you here. Um, And I am especially excited to hear you read a little bit from the book.
0: Okay, well, here we go. Uh, This is from the author's note of Against White Feminism and I have it here up front, you know, for anyone who picks up the book, because I wanted to be very clear about what or who I think a white feminist is or could be. So here, here we go. A white feminist is someone who refuses to consider the role that whiteness and the racial privilege attached to it have played and continue to play in universalizing white feminist concerns, agendas, and beliefs as being those of all of feminism and all of feminists. You do not have to be white to be a white feminist. It is also perfectly possible to be white and feminist and not be a white feminist. The term describes a set of assumptions and behaviors which have been baked into mainstream Western feminism rather than describing the racial identity of its subjects at the same time it's true that most white feminists are indeed white and that whiteness itself is at the core of white feminism a white feminist may be a woman who earnestly salutes the precepts of intersectionality the need for feminism to reflect structural inequalities drawn along the lines of race, faith, class, disability, etc., as well as gender, but fails to cede space to the feminists of color who have been ignored, erased, or excluded from the feminist movement.
1: Thank you so much. Um, the book is just the one of the most incredible things I've ever read. You you go from you know, history, to your own personal experience, to analyzing literature. um, And I think just have, you know, the as someone who thought she knew what white feminism was, I think having um, that kind of intro to the book was incredibly useful before, you know, you kind of dive into the first chapter. and I'm hoping for our listeners, you can talk a little bit about uh, your background with feminism and in feminist spaces and um, how that allowed you to identify the issues of white feminism and ultimately decide to write this book.
0: Um, well, thank you so much, Hallie. Uh, it's very comforting to, to get that kind of praise uh, from someone who knows books so well and um and also comforting because uh you know i'm on the cusp of this book being released at a time when uh critical race theory is being banned Mm -hmm. um there's all sorts of very conversations that want to um silence critiques such as the one i have in this book um so it's very i'm very hopeful that the people who do read this book and find that it resonates with them are literally going to you know really try to get it in as many hands as possible uh so i'm very grateful for your comments in terms of my feminist awakening um as we were chatting before the podcast um <clears throat> in some ways i think it started uh from a very, very early age, and that's because I'm the female part of a boy girl uh twin set and um you know and 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 as if you've ever known twins or have twins um you know that the biggest goal of every twin is to make sure that they get exactly uh equal amounts of whatever the other twin is is getting or not getting or whatever privilege and Mm -hmm. so you learn to sort of that definitely becomes your lenses i was growing up in karachi in pakistan and so um there were many things that boys were allowed to do that i wasn't allowed to do Um, but at the same time i was the most uh, more outspoken twin so um you know, I, and in in some ways, like people didn't know what to do with that. They didn't know what to do with the girl twin being more outspoken. Um, and instead of instead of the boy. Uh, so I mean, I, know, I, I learned to navigate this issue in a very, it, it's a it's at the core, I would say of of who I am. Um, but then over the years, I mean, I had to really fight for um, for my own life uh, for the lives of people I love for my daughter who's you know to whom this book is dedicated um, so um, you know I I was made very early I had an arranged marriage I came to the United States um, and then I had to fight several battles uh, over there so you know I mean I I basically spent the last part of my tw- teens and all of my twenties like fighting, fighting to be able to go to law school, mm-hmm. um, fighting to be able to go to graduate school, and then balance being a single parent and um, you know trying to make sure that I had enough, um, you know, to provide at least some kind of basic stability for my daughter. Um, you know, as I mentioned in the book, I was, I, I had to go to a domestic violence shelter, mm-hmm. um, and then kind of came full circle, then I became a lawyer, um, you know, and, and, um, and then eventually worked for that shelter. So, um, you know, it's definitely, it's been both an intellectual and an experiential part of my life. Um, intellectually, of course, I've, uh, I remember um, the first time I studied, uh, I took a, a class in law school called uh, uh, sex discrimination where we studied Title VII and uh, the laws or the legal framework for filing and then uh, adjudicating sexual harassment cases. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I I was completely entranced by that, because here was, um, you know, a a means of creating a system, it was procedural system that at least tried to make things more equal. And the fact that we can construct systems like that, uh, ideas and, 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 uh concepts um that can then be put to work uh to do the work of 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 equality or um you know empowerment um was just i was entranced by it there's there's really no other word and um and you know and then from then on of course it was it was a task of intellectual inquiry um, I was very interested uh, you know when I was uh, studying political philosophy um, to do comparative theory so I wanted to see how Muslim feminism ideas that were sort of uh, in at the core of that uh, could be put together with you um, with ideas from our you know US uh, legal system so i studied comparative uh, legal systems um, and uh, how essentially and this was also you know came from my work at the shelter i was looking at how muslim women fared in us legal in the us legal system when they were fighting divorce cases or inheritance cases uh so yes um it's been a journey of sort of stitching together all these separate pieces of my life, um, which I, I think, of course, probably all women do, you know, yeah. uh, in, but in their as they grow, um, to bring together all of those things to stitch our sort of unique feminist fabric, um, so to speak.
1: Yeah, and to continue that metaphor, it does seem like you kind of started tugging at the, um, the fabric of feminism or white feminism at least. And it, it started to crumple, you know, all the way back to colonialism, which you talk about in the book um, as well. And certainly before that, uh, I'm sure. And I, I am fascinated by the relationship between colonialism and white feminism that you outline. Um, and kind of curious to hear you talk a little bit about you know, the relationship between white feminism and the white savior complex and how throughout history that has kind of per- perpetuated itself um, to today.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was inspired of course by works of critical race theory and then also uh, sort of uh, genealogical investigations that other political theorists have done. And what I wanted to do was provide an accessible sort of alternative intellectual history to the one we usually read in terms of the waves and feminist uh, the feminist movement evolving from from that. I. Um, you know, so in that sense, it's very, it was very intentional. Uh, and also because I wanted to, to show how the dynamics of colonialism were being replicated again and again and again in contemporary life in our, the world we live in today. So of course, you know, there's this idea temptation to not, oh, well, colonialism to blame for everything. Um, it's, I mean, you know, colonialism is at, was definitely a very discriminatory and oppressive system, but mm-hmm. the the real tragedy is in our refusal to sort of stop that oppression from being replicated again and again and again in what we do today so you know I wanted to uh, and and also bring forward um, this idea of um Of the fact that there are a lot of Black and Brown feminists whose work is just simply not acknowledged and recognized. But I was, you know, the question I guess that I had when I started this book was. I do see all the efforts that are being done, say, you know, to make literature more diverse to um, bring uh, women of color into the feminist canon to have uh, more stories about black and brown women published and in the public discourse, I could see all of that. um, But at the same time, I didn't feel like it was making a difference. I felt like you know those efforts have been happening for a very long time mm-hmm. and i and 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 yet we were still making the same efforts um you know so uh when i read audrey lord's speech about uh that she gave at the Nor- uh national women's Associ- study national women's studies association uh conference i believe the date is 1979 but it could be in a little bit after that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. when I read that speech that's quoted in my book, I, my heart just broke, right? Because she's yeah. talking to an audience of white women and she's pointing out the ways in which just within that conference, white academics, white women have been dismissive of women of color, have, um, you know, in a very entitled way asked, well, how does this relate to me? How does mm-hmm. this, How does this relate to me? um and when i saw that i was like wow i mean like this is just on and on and on i could make this exact speech today and it would be perfectly relevant and those instances would definitely have happened at um you know at a at any like conference where uh that was on this topic um and so i said about um Trying to show, trying to create an argument that would show white people, in particular white women, um, why um, women of color and their work and their voices were still at the margins, were still sort of f- at the fringe. And the real sort of meaty conversations were taking place without them.
1: Uh, yeah.
0: Because it's like, you know we'd created these very um these the, these small sort of uh compartments in which we can put women of color but the 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 whole rest of the box is still filled up with white women mm-hmm. um so yeah so that was the question that i uh kind of was getting at when when i started this book and so Uh, in my mind, I thought, well, what's the story that I want to present to women so that they see that this, it's not just one thing, you know, it's not just, oh, we have to change the media, uh, or, oh, we have to change how we define empowerment, uh, or we have to change international development and the programs that we create to, quote, unquote, sort of white help what you know non-white women Mm um and that this is what i came up with
1: um i think it was a pretty good good um thing that you came up with to to start kind of you know educating people about about what white feminism is um which is what you were mentioning in the um earlier, which is that it's just about centering the white feminist perspective, which seems to be kind of just like an inherent thing um, that people don't even realize they're doing.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, like, you know, it's that the quote I have uh, from Gertrude Stein in the book really kind of, I think it encapsulates white privilege, right? Mm-hmm. Is because it's this white woman who obviously is not considered equal to men, in her own country in the in in Britain at the time Mm -hmm. and then she goes off to the the colonies where um you know she's treated with great deference because she's white and she goes I'm a person I'm a person here (laughs) um you know and, and she's a person there of course because she is white and and whiteness by itself accrues so much privilege that it almost like you know it it overrides her gender so that Mm -hmm. she is worth more than you know a brown man Mm -hmm. um and uh and white men who you know were the architects of colonialism are are willing and feel comfortable with sharing their privilege with her um yeah
1: wow um, you mentioned uh, publishing a little bit before and the efforts that uh, that publishing houses have been making. Um, and I also saw that you tweeted um, that you were gonna talk about the barriers to publication that you faced um, when writing this book. And I was wondering if you wanted to talk a little bit about that here today.
0: Um, sure, um, you know, I mean, First of all I would say that um you know I don't I don't think that this book I mean I remember being at academic panels mm-hmm. and um and using the word white women or white feminists and quite literally being silenced by uh even even women who uh, white academics who are very sympathetic to, you know, my larger uh, thesis mm-hmm. because they just felt that it was very divisive to use uh you know the word white even white women or mm-hmm. let alone white feminists and um and so i had a, a lot of time to think about why people thought it was divisive and i and, and and i came up my you know the answer that i came up with for myself was that it's, it was that sort of absolute refusal to discuss the racial divisions within feminism that was holding feminism back mm-hmm. because we didn't feel that we were equipped to have this conversation in a way that we could have it and then still come together as feminists. So mm-hmm. I ver- obviously, I very much think that we do, but, um, you know but it took sort of an i would say an evolving um uh, moment of racial reckoning to uh convince people that this book was even necessary but even mm-hmm. then when i came up with the idea for this book i um you, you know and i wrote it down my agents at the time said absolutely not like This is not going to be, you, this is, you can't, you shouldn't do this. You can't do this because no one will buy it. Um, You know, no one will publish it. Um, Or if you may get like some, you know, and there was like small academic press somewhere to publish this book. And, um, and it almost ended there, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, It it really almost ended there because i I really trusted my agents and, um, you know, and they were definitely had very progressive politics. And and I just thought, okay, well, you know, no, (laughs) this isn't going to be a book. And it was just, I was very lucky uh, to have my current editor who, um, you know, who really supported the book and who was very patient as I wrangled through a lot of different ideas and uh, ways of formulating the argument. Um so both my editors, you know, at Norton, um Elaine Mason and my editor at Hamish Hamilton in the UK, Hermione Smith you know, Hermione Thompson, mm-hmm. um, they both um were very very helpful, but but yeah, I mean, but that gap from like, um, from the, you know, an agent completely like dissing this and saying like, what on earth, um, to getting to an editor was like yeah. a very huge. It's like a very dark place, <laughs> mm-hmm. and um, and so. Uh so there's that uh and then, of course, like continuing i mean I, I won't lie that it's been hard to get uh you know definitely many of the very prominent, even very woke like white feminists to endorse the book, uh even some that I've known and who've uh admired my writing prior to this book um and um and some of the, some of that has been surprising to me and kind of a whole separate layer of, of just feeling disappointed.
1: Right. Um,
0: but, but you know, there are a lot of obviously white women like you and my editors, uh, publicists, everybody who have, who have supported the book, who are continuing to support the book, but it's easy to kill, like you know for everyone else you know um editors at other publications who assign reviews um you know critics who write about books etc etc it's very uh easy to kind of kill a book you know mm-hmm. or or sideline it uh there's so many books that are published we're at this time where book sales aren't you know, aren't doing that well, uh, more or less. And so it's easy to just kind of put it to the side, you know? Um, and and that's enough to sort of passively um, refuse to engage with, with what it's saying. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of just really hoping that the people like, you know, like you and others who feel strongly about this issue will be very sort of assertive about um, not necessarily just you know like buying the book, but just about creating conversations around it so that um, I don't mind I don't mind my words or my work being the punching bag so long as it enables conversations um, among women, you know. Uh, Black women, white women, women of color, Um, so long as that happens, I'll be super pleased.
1: Yeah, and, you know, eliciting a strong reaction from people too, I think, is a testament to the book as well, because it is, you know, that you, wokeness can kind of disguise Uh, the perpetuation of white feminism it's it feels like there's more layers that reading this book help you know me as a white person and um, other white people who read the book and and everyone to kind of look at their own role in in the in the topic so
0: yes and also perhaps recognize that that There's not necessarily always a malicious intent to being part of a structure that oppresses, you know, so I don't think that, like, even a lot of white women who kind of haven't done this sort of self examination about how they might be complicit in racist structures. I'm not sure, you know, I don't, I'm not saying that they're all um, intending to kind of say, okay, well, so what? you know um, right. i think they just they, you know they they just haven't had i mean I, I i think that they haven't had an opportunity to think about it and then also be given you know uh, given ideas of what they can do as people about it which i which is you know what i've tried to do so it's very much you know it's it's critique but it's also a, a call to creating a more meaningful collective, Um, you know, and I definitely think that that collective is, is possible and necessary. Mm
1: -hmm. And, and I do love that the book is kind of aimed at being, you know, the the subtitle is notes on disruption, it's, it's not just um, an academic examination of a topic, but actually engages um, the reader. And, I know why I read the book Uh, for me and for other people like me who, you know, benefit from the culture of white feminism um, or might even not know what that means. What, why should they read the book? What do you hope people take away from it um, when they read?
0: Um, Well, one of the things I wanted to do, and I think that is, know particularly relevant to the white women who would read this book is number one i wanted to take them through the experiences of these sorts of microaggressions and exclusions in particular situations you know so i describe in the book what it's like to sort of be told that um you know you're you and your culture are really available for consumption, Mm -hmm. you know, like at that fair where like white women are going from one stall to another, buying like little tchotchkes and then the money's gonna go to here or there. But, you know, they're not particularly engaged in terms of understanding these cultures. Um, And, you know, I give examples also of, you know, from from everything, from being in a, a feminist a gender studies seminar where I'm, where there's really no room to discuss Muslim women except as you know sort of these Orientalist examples of of oppression. So I wanted mm-hmm. them to see these very real life situations that happen to women of color uh, all the time and. Uh, and I wanted to provide the interpretation and that experience that I feel women of color discuss among themselves, but don't don't know how to how to tell white women about
1: you mm-hmm. know
0: um so that was one thing the other thing I think was really important is I wanted to um, explain to all women how um how the the culture of or the the sort of ethic of individual achievement and ambition um sometimes not sometimes but often collides with our perspectives on bringing uh, on you know creating a collective sisterhood mm-hmm. and and how exactly that happens so you know recently uh people have been talking about uh, you know, the ESPN incident with the ESPN anchor where, uh, you know, Rachel Nichols, who was a white woman and who was the anchor of uh, NBA daily was was covering the NBA <clears throat> finals. And then she was suddenly replaced by uh, this was this is from last year uh, was replaced by an African-American anchor, uh, Mariah Taylor. And then, uh, after that she had a conversation with a a white man um that was on tape in which she says well this is my thing you know i've this is my thing as in i as a white woman have won my place here Mm -hmm. and um you know they're just bringing her on because they've got this you know diversity thing going on Mm-hmm. And that, you know, conversation has sort of uh, incited uh, a, conver- a a more public discussion about what white women feel about their position and what they think of, um, you know, uh, women of color, in this case, black women who are trying to get uh, be in a similar place. And there is this attitude among white women that they uh, have won their spot fair and square. Mm-hmm. um entirely justly and so they're entitled to it and other women like black women who are trying to sort of get to the where they are are encroaching about, upon space that they haven't won and that they're getting only because of concessions to their race and commitments to diversity mm-hmm. and i've written about this for cnn and, and the reason why i bring it up here in our conversation is because, you know, that's a, that's a real illustration of what I mean by our ambitions collide with our white women's ambitions collide with their feminisms, mm-hmm. uh, because you have a situation where, and, and I, and I completely admit that, that the defensiveness is expected. I mean, you know, you, it's not that they haven't fought, for their position. It's just that, um, you know, their position has uh, some, you know, some of the concession or some of the advancements that they've earned are because they're white. Um, and so uh, how to sort of tread that tension between, uh, you know, white women respecting that if a black woman is taking their spot. Uh, then they have earned it, too, <laughs> you yeah. know, and so it became this moment for me when I really started to think, what is this word? So white women amongst themselves are, you know, seem to be able to talk about the fact that they look at black women as interlopers, um, you know, but they they won't say it to, you know, in in a general conversation, but to other white people, they're saying it, and no one is being called out for saying that that's a racist belief to have, Um, you know, to say that I'm entitled to my position, but if she got it, well, that's diversity and etc. And it becomes a kind of kabuki play on both sides, right? Where now white women are having this conversation where they think it's just diversity that gives other women chances. And then, you know, women of color and black women are are talking about it and saying, well, of course she's not gonna let me do this because she doesn't think I deserve it. Um, Mm -hmm. And in the end, of course, like with that story, the white woman got to stay you know, Rachel Nichols has kept her position with ESPN. And Mariah Taylor is the one who had to leave. And now she's with NBC Sports. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's, you know, it's just, it's just one recent iteration of, um, of, of how this plays out, and how it's become an impasse um, that needs to be
1: overcome. Yeah. Cause it's, it's, it's structural at this point. Exactly. Um, do you think, when did you start writing the book? Um, I'm curious if the, if kind of the events of the last year and a half and the emphasis on uh, Black Lives Matter has changed the conversation about white feminism at all, or about how you kind of um, thought as your book in the, thought of your book in the world.
0: Um, I have been thinking about this for a long before uh, Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it's just that it was very difficult to find spaces to publish it. Uh, One of my editors, Sam Hasselby at Aon, I think uh, we published a piece. 2014, I'd like to say, um, you know, where I was I was talking about how, um, you know, in relation to the veil and the bans on the veil in France and, and all of these other European countries. And I was talking about how when uh, British colonialist women, white women went to India for the first time, they thought that they were covering too, un, they, were, they thought that they weren't covering enough, you mm-hmm. know. so yes. these Victorian women were like very, very covered up and women, Indian women were wearing the sari um and they were like oh my god how on earth do they uh you know show their their midriff mm-hmm. and and then of course then now you know in afghanistan for instance when uh when that war was initiated uh you know you had oh well i mean these burkas we have to get rid of them we have to get rid of i mean you know and 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 we have to tell them that they have they're covering up too much mm-hmm. um, to show that this is a question you know of of who has power rather than um, who has choice and um, so yeah so that so i've been I, i've written about different parts of this um you know over the years bef- before um any of this started Mm-hmm. but i hadn't you know been able to put it all together um you know as as added as it's come in this book and against white feminism
1: um my last question for you is about who are some other feminist thinkers and people who we should be following reading um whose voices we should be amplifying today
0: um yeah I mean, um some of them are mentioned in the book. Mm-hmm. um you know, one of the books, obviously uh that was really, really seminal for me uh, uh is by Laila Abulagod, uh do Muslim women need saving um you know, I also have you know some more obscure uh kinds of recommendations. There's mm-hmm. this book uh called Atya's Journeys, uh written by Atya Fezi. It's A-T-I-Y-A, Atiyah's Journeys, J, you know, Journeys, mm-hmm. um, and it's a book written, it's a it's a diary, uh, in, and it's been translated, that a woman uh, from uh, India wrote when she was studying at a teacher's college in the UK in the 1920s, wow. and I think it's just a really fascinating book because it it reverses the dynamic, you know, it's not just like white women always going to brown lands and then writing about it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I, I really loved that book. i have you know moja kauf m-o-h-j-a-k-a-u-f the girl with the tangerine scarf uh also uh she also takes up a lot of these ideas um you know of orientalism and how they've impacted and then there's books like that are just histories like uh the recent book by historian ruby lal uh called nur jahan which is about uh the woman to whom the taj mahal was Uh, dedicated. Um, So, uh, and it's just the title is just Noor Jahan. Um, So Durba Mitra's book on um, how sexuality uh, was controlled in British India um, is an excellent book as well. Um, And, uh, and I think all of these are, you know, they're, they're definitely in the notes at the end of my book. Uh, but I, I, you know, I, I recommend them, even if you can pick up one and read it. Uh, and of course, my favorite is like Audrey Lorde all the time. I got a lot of strength from reading her work as I was writing this book. Um, so anything by her is, is you know, that's my sort of permanent uh, go-to book.
1: Yeah, it's so, yeah. wonderful. Um, well, I have a lot of reading to do. Thank you. <Yeah>
0: no thank Um, you for this conversation uh you know my my hope really for this book is that uh that you know women everywhere will will read it and find something in it that resonates with them uh you know um like I said uh I uh was a feminist of experience is what I would would call it uh before I was you know New feminist theory or um, anything intellectual to do with feminism. I just fought the battles on the ground,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: in a lot of ways, this book is a call to for for everyone uh, to value those battles more, to value the women who fight them, and to understand that they uh, they absolutely must have a say in. Uh, the feminism that we create in the feminism of the future. Yeah,
1: that's so beautiful. Um, Thank you so much. Uh, Again, that was Rafia Zakaria, whose book Against White Feminism uh, is out on August 17th. And you can, of course, order a copy for you and everyone you know at skylightbooks.com. Goodbye, everyone.